today. So if you have your Bibles, locate that, Revelation chapter 8. Back in chapter 5 and verse 1, there's this amazing scroll that needs opened up. And uh, we found that that is the title deed to planet Earth, but there's only one person qualified to open the title deed to planet Earth. And in chapter 5, Jesus Christ, the Lamb, is the one who is worthy, the only one who is able and qualified to grab that title deed and reclaim possession of planet Earth, okay? So we know that in Genesis, um, Adam and Eve sinned. They were tricked. They were lied to by Satan. They bought into it. They sinned, and Satan kind of took possession of planet Earth uh, in some ways, at least temporarily. Uh, chapter 6, we see the seals in that title deed starting to get opened, okay? And the first six seals by Jesus get progressively more intense, progressively more catastrophic. If you have your Bible, go to chapter 7. We looked at that last week. And the Lord uh, seals 144,000 missionaries, 144,000 evangelists to go worldwide and tell everybody they come in contact with about Jesus Christ. Uh, if you look at verse 5, tribe of Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, and you go on down, uh, 144,000 of them. Lots of folks uh, guessing, well, who is that? Uh, my rule of interpretation is this. Ready? If the plain sense of Scripture makes sense, seek no other sense. And in my mind, look, look at verses 5 and on there. Uh, it's pretty clear those are Jews, and I would argue those are what I would call completed Jews, those who now Jewish and now their eyes are open and they realize Jesus really is the Messiah, the Savior, and now they have their eyes opened and they are the missionaries on the march, ambassadors throughout planet Earth. Uh, chapter 8 records the opening of the seventh seal. And the seventh seal is a big deal, and you're going to see today uh, as the seventh seal contains seven trumpets, and then it's going to contain seven bowls. And I'm telling you, this seventh seal is like a really big uh, deal, and you're going to see what the first four trumpets are all about. So would you stand with me? We're going to read the entire chapter, Revelation chapter 8, out loud together. Can you do it? You up for it? Okay, here we go. This is God's Word, and we're going to declare it out loud to one another and before the Lord. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stood before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, 
rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark, a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Let's pray. Lord, those uh, words are serious and sobering. And if I'm honest, Lord, they're, uh, they're a little frightening, intimidating. To think about this is the future. This is your word, and it's inspired, and it's going to happen exactly as you had John write it down. So, Lord, I'm asking that you might show us, even as we look at the four trumpets that are blown in chapter 8, show us what exactly that has to do with us in northern Michigan in 2015. We uh, recognize you've given us your word. It's quick, it's powerful, it's alive, it's sharp, it's, it's good for us. So, Lord, help us to uh, be open to what it is you have to say to us today from your book. And we recognize, Lord, that we need not just your word, but we also need the power of your spirit in, in order for you to impact our lives. So we invite your spirit right now, the third person of the Trinity, to come and settle in your church here in Walloon. We invite you, Lord, to take charge corporately as a, as a body, Lord, but we also, perhaps more importantly, invite you individually right now to come and take charge. So we slide off the throne. We slide off the, uh, the, the driver's seat, and we slide over, and we invite you, Lord, uh, to come and drive. You come and sit on the throne. That's the place you deserve in each and every one of our lives, not just on Sunday, but on every day of the week. You come and rule and reign and be king and boss and master. We're asking, even right now, you take charge. You, as we said earlier, be the center.
Lord, please use these goofy lips of mine. May Jesus be honored and glorified in your church today. And all the church gathered at Walloon on a really cold and freezing day said with a loud and warm voice, what did they say? Amen. You may be seated. Well done. 20 below in Walloon when I got up. I've heard uh, somebody said 25 below in the beautiful suburb of Horton Bay. So, you know, it's interesting days, isn't it, Diane? Yeah. Verse 1, Revelation chapter 8. Interesting. When he opened the seventh seal, first thing that happens is nothing. Quiet. The sound of silence in heaven. Maybe that's where uh, Simon or Garfunkel got that. Uh, but it, there's the sound of silence. And I just want you to know, this is a big crowd. Go back to chapter 7 and verse 9, and there's multitudes so huge that John says, I can't even count them all. Uh, and if you go to 9.16, uh, we're going to get there next week. Uh, he says... Uh, I can count that, and he, there's up to 200 million in the crowd, born-again, redeemed folk from the tribulation. So this is a massive crowd uh, gathered here in heaven. Uh, in 511, the crowd is also including not just people, but angels, 10,000 times 10,000 angels. And now they go completely silent for 30 minutes. Largest crowd I've ever been a part of uh, was in 1997. We got on buses, a uh, bunch of us men from Walloon, and there were several buses from other churches, and we all rode to Washington, D.C., and it was a stand-in-the-gap uh, prayer vigil for our country, and uh, they said there was around a million men there at the Promise Keepers. And I'm just telling you, I, there was screen and then double football field and then screen and double football field. And it went, I think we were like the eighth screen back. Okay, so as far as you could see, and you could look behind all the way past the Washington Monument, nothing but people. It, it was wild. Uh, a sea of we were so far away we could just barely see the speaker's platform so we're, we're talking a huge crowd well that was close to a million this is millions and millions of people and now they're in heaven and nobody's talking and nobody's coughing or sneezing or laughing or whispering they've been praising loudly if you go back to 512 and 710 just need you to know, when you get to glory, it's going to be loud. You think sometimes I'm loud? <laughs> you just wait. And it says, they're loud. And now, 8-1, completely silent. Wish I had a half hour. It'd be kind of fun just to see if we could. Nobody cough, nobody sneeze, nobody whisper. Be eerie, wouldn't it? especially if there's millions and millions and millions of you and millions and millions of angels. And now, 
uh, they're just quiet. Why? Why the quiet? Are you ready? It's because they can count. And they've counted one seal open, two, three, four, five, six, chapter seven, the parentheses. Now they're about to break open that final seal, and everybody knows this is going to be crazy. This is going to be intense. This is going to be wild, and that's exactly why they were also, they were kind of in awe and anticipation of what's about to break loose. Verse 2, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. After 30 minutes of nerve-shattering silence, the seven angels, the seven messengers, are about to blow their trumpets. And please understand, they're going to blow them one at a time. And each trumpet is introducing the next judgment. Okay? So, track with me. The, the seventh seal involves seven trumpets, and we're going to see in the weeks to come, and seven bowls. So there's a reason why they were quiet, because they knew uh, the big guns are coming out. Uh, these trumpets are going to sound, seven of them, one right after another. Judgment from God Almighty is about to be executed on planet Earth. It's Romans 1:18, put into practice. Write that down if you're taking notes. The wrath of God will be revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. When does that take place? It's, it's, it's coming out in full fury here in Revelation chapter 8, verse 3. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood before the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of who? With the prayers of Okay, this you can you can uh, participate. The prayers of all of God's people—that's all of us, all who know Jesus—on the golden altar in front of the throne, and the smoke of the incense, together with the uh, the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel takes the censer, filled it with fire, hurled it onto the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquakes. Do you ever wonder why we're called to pray? Honestly? Really? I'm supposed to talk to you and tell you something, Lord, that you don't already know? And I'm supposed to tell you something that will affect the future, the sovereign, providential God of the universe? And in case you've ever thought that way, I'm not sure prayer makes much of a difference. You just need to underline verses 3 to 5. Look at what is said here. It's, it's pretty amazing. First of all, um, it, it says that all the saints or all the followers of Jesus, did you know that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a saint, Saint Diana? Did you know that? You don't have to wait for somebody in Rome to say, I now bequeath you sainthood. No, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. So right now, say, I am a saint. Say it with me, I am a St. Henry, yeah. So turn and uh, introduce yourself. Yep, I'm St. Alan. Nice to meet you. Uh, St. Kelsey, go ahead. You have permission. Tell, tell the saint next to you, hi, I, I'm St. Bob. Yes, 
Nice to meet you, St. Laurie. Yes, isn't it good? It's true. So it's all the Christians all through the ages whose prayers are now making a difference in heaven. And they've made a difference all along, but it's, it's thy kingdom come. You ever prayed that? Lord, I'm praying that you just come back to earth and get everything together. Well, that prayer is getting answered right now in, in Revelation chapter 8. The prayers of Christians, especially those who've suffered down through the ages, it's getting answered. And what is prayer? Anybody? What is prayer? It's talking to the Lord and listening to its communication with King Jesus. It's not, it's not something that, that's terribly complex. I'm just telling you, it's talking to Jesus and then listening to his still small voice, allowing him to prompt and nudge us as we walk here on planet Earth. Um, hold your spot. I want you to go to back to chapter 5 and verse 8. Okay? If you don't have a Bible, maybe somebody next to you will let you look on. Okay? And, and it says in 5.8, And when he had taken it, when Jesus had taken the seal, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. That's Jesus who took the seal. And each one of them had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. Oh, golden bowl of incense, what's that? What's the next phrase say? Which are the prayers of God's people. Golden bowl of incense, what's that? It's the prayers of you and me. So just, just allow that to, to, to soak in for a second. The prayers, Henry, that you offered to the Lord this week, he says, oh, Henry, prayer... I'm putting that in one of my golden bowls. It's precious, it's valuable, it's important, and I'm holding on to the prayers of my kids when they talk to me, when they cry out to me. Do you understand? When we pray, that's valuable, that's precious. The Lord loves to hear us talk to Him. And now look at verse 4, chapter 8, Revelation, go back. The prayers of Christians go up to the nostrils of Jesus and it's the prayers of his children, especially those who've suffered and died and been martyred and been tortured that nudges and provokes Jesus to begin judgment. So, so you're, you're wondering, do my prayers matter? Is he listening? And you see verse 4 here and the answer is you better believe it. When I'm crying out to the Lord, he's listening, and it's the prayers that nudge Jesus to say, okay, now it's time for my kingdom to come. It's time for judgment to come on planet Earth. And it's the prayers that, again, are, are nudging him to do that. For 2,000 years, Christians who've suffered, persecuted, abused, ridiculed, martyred, They've been crying out to the Lord, and the Lord says, okay, I've heard it. I've kept them in golden bowls, and now I'm about to make a difference on the basis of your prayers. And a hot blast of God's wrath is going to come out now. Um, but before we move on, I want you to go back in your Bibles. Would you find the book of James? Okay, you got 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude. 
Uh, go before that, First and Second Peter. It's the one just before First Peter, uh, James chapter five. Okay, James chapter five, and I want you to see something. Verse sixteen, last half. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, if I were to ask you right now, are you a righteous man? Just walk around a little bit, you know? Brian, are you righteous today? I think most of us would say, mm, I'm not feeling very righteous. Uh, and just go around, you know, Warren, are you feeling righteous today? Um, how righteous are you, Alan? And you think about it, and Brian, are, are you feeling righteous? Give me your eyes. Righteous means to be in right relationship. Well, how do you get to be in right relationship with Jesus? Got to be one of his kids. Any sin in my life, I've confessed, I've gotten clean, and now I've allowed Jesus to come and sit on the throne, be the center. You come take charge. Are you ready? And when Jesus is sitting on the throne and he's in charge, guess what? You're in right relationship. So then you are a righteous person. So it's not like some... Ooh, I'm righteous, Bob. No, it's being in right relationship with Jesus. And look what it says. And when you are in right relationship with Jesus, what happens to your prayers, Diana? What's it say? They are what? They are powerful and they are effective. And then he gives us an illustration. Elijah was a human being just like us. Elijah was an ordinary guy is what he's saying here. He had no extra special powers more than you or me. Guess what Elijah's secret was? You ready? He stayed in right relationship with Jehovah God. So the secret for effective and powerful prayers stay right with Jesus. And then it says he prayed earnestly, Elijah, that it would not rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Why is that? Because the prayer of a righteous man is what? Say it with me. It's powerful and... Okay, I got four of you who are buying in, okay? The rest of you aren't so sure. But the prayer of a person in right relationship with Jesus is two things. It's... And it's... Okay, I got about half of you now. Uh, this is... Come on, play along. You know, okay, well, play along, Pastor John. I want you to get it. When we are in right relationship with Jesus, our prayers are and... Wow. Um, so the question then becomes, why worry when we can pray? Why worry when we can pray? So what is worrying you right now and you're stewing and you're fretting and you're full of anxiety and it's causing lots of worry in your life today? I'd like to hear from some of you. What, what do people today, 2015, Northern Michigan, what do we worry about? I want to hear from some of you. What do we worry about? Fear of the unknown. Yeah, if I just knew what was coming. Yeah. Do you think we really would want to know even if we could? Probably not. But we think we want to, don't we? What, what else? 
This might not be you, of course. You're talking the corporate we. Uh, Kelsey, what else do we worry about? Money. Oh, boy, what if I run out? You know, then I'm in trouble. And uh, that would be bad. What else do we worry about today, Northern Michigan, 2015? Anybody? Work? Yeah. What if, what if I don't have a job? What, what if my boss doesn't like me anymore? Or what if I am the boss and the customers don't like me anymore? That's not good. Not good. Anybody else? What do we worry about here? 2015, Northern Michigan. Up. Family. You better believe it, you know? Um, especially if you've got some drivers in the family. Especially if it's slick roads, ain't it? And, you know, you can't be driving for everybody. And, and you're just afraid. Yeah, family. Uh, not just driving, everything, you know? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen uh, to them? And I, and I hate the fact that something bad might happen. Anybody else? What do we worry about? Northern Michigan, 2015. Health. Boy, what if that doctor took blood and now he's calling me in? He's got something really bad to say. That could be awful. Linda? Firewood supply, frozen pipes. Very practical answer for today. You better believe it. Um, so, so here's what I want you to think about, okay? Now uh, you got to worry on your heart, on your mind. Maybe it's one of those. Maybe we didn't mention yours. But what if every time that worry came and tried to knock on my heart's door, showed its anxious little face, what if every time worry knocked and I heard if I offered it up in prayer? How do you think that would change our lives? How, how do you think that would change our church? How do you think it would affect our families? How, how do you think it would affect the people who are watching us? Do you understand? Please know this. Prayer is valuable and precious to Jesus. He keeps it. He keeps all of our prayers and he puts them in golden bowls. And prayer is powerful and effective and it changes lives. I'm just telling you, look at verse uh, chapter 8. Go back to Revelation chapter 8. And I really like the fact verse 4 is that prayer prompts the Lord into action. Now, don't ask me, that blows my circuits because he's providential and he's sovereign and he knows what he's doing. And yet somehow, even in eternity past, when he looked forward to what was going to happen in our lives, he factored in our prayer. And he takes our prayers into account. And prayer changes stuff. And now the prayers of his children are poured out. And now the first trumpet is about to sound, verse 6. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, please understand, John isn't writing for a scientific journal here. John is a first century Jew writing to people who lived in the first century. He's writing to first century followers of Jesus, some of them Jews, some of them Gentiles, but he's writing in a way that he understood 
and writing in a way that they would understand and comprehend what he was saying, okay? So let's just be honest. Some of what he's saying probably won't fit our modern-day ears. But go back, verse 7, Hail, fire, and blood come down from the sky, and the result is a third of earth's vegetation, plant life, trees, crops, destroyed, gone. Some commentators see a nuclear cloud here. Um, that's possible. We, I don't know. I don't know that it was meant for that kind of analysis, but it's meant to give us a warning. Here's the warning. You ready? Those of you who are inhabitants of planet Earth right now, uh, most of you who have turned your back, refused to repent, refused to make Jesus your king, just want you to know, I am the Lord, I am the King, I am the powerful one here on planet Earth. It's time for you to repent and come running home to me. That's the message of that first trumpet. Uh, trumpet number 2, verse 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The ocean was the lifeblood, the backbone of the Roman economy. Track with me. When this was written, uh, most transportation quick, uh, most of the commerce, most of the food was transported by ship. Most of the armies were moved by ship. So now, when this second trumpet is sounded, and now one-third of the ocean is going to be destroyed, that's a big deal. Because that's the backbone of our economy. One-third of marine life, one-third of the ocean water, one-third of the ships are gone. What is that? Um, the best guess I got is maybe this is a volcanic explosion. Um, Mount Vesuvius, do you recall Mount Vesuvius destroyed the city of Pompeii? 16,000 plus people died instantly. Um, when that exploded, that had already happened probably 15 years before John wrote. So things like volcanoes would have been on their mind because that had already occurred 15 years earlier. Uh, whatever it was, it did terrible damage to the oceans. Um, in 2010, do you recall, there was an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico uh, owned by British Petroleum. April, May 2010 exploded. 11 men lost their lives. And then over 200 million gallons of crude oil spewed all over the Gulf of Mexico. It's the largest spill in history. Uh, massive damage. Massive damage. Uh, 42 plus billion dollars to clean up that mess and they still didn't get it all. They're still finding remnants of that. Okay, you take that one oil spill, give me your eyes, now multiply that by a thousand or ten thousand that's what's happening as this trumpet is sounded, 
Okay? That second trumpet, great damage to the ocean. Third trumpet blows, verse 10. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the water is what? What's it? Wormwood. <laughs> a third of the waters turned bitter. Sorry about that. How are we doing, Jim? And many people died from the waters that became bitter. That was my bad, not Jim's, by the way. Um, fresh water, still today. You go to the Middle East, you know what they're fighting over a lot of the time? Water, water rights. Who's got access to good drinking water? Now look, a third of the water, a third of the rivers, a third of the springs, a third of the lakes, undrinkable. Can't drink, it's poisonous. And verse 11, if you drink, you're going to die. Stay away from that water, it's killer. Um, when Jesus was on the cross, do you recall what some of the Roman soldiers passed up to Jesus? What did they give Jesus when he was on the cross? Anybody? What? Bitter, bitter gall liquid, okay? Um, and it's Jesus on the cross atoning for our sin problem, recall. He shed his blood for our sin problem, and he makes that which is bitter to us, sin, sweet and forgiven. Does that make sense? Now, here, the third trumpet blows. It's exactly the opposite. Jesus Christ, the lion lamb, comes in judgment, turns the earth and its inhabitants into bitterness and despair. Why? Because they refused to believe and receive Jesus. They refused to repent, and now the result is wormwood, bitterness. It's bad. The fourth trumpet is sounded, verse 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. It's fun, Verlin, to read commentators, and, and they're trying to explain this one. Um, here's what I know. The Lord just messes up the sun and the moon and the stars. And, and suddenly now there's a third less of all of that, and, and it's bad. And everybody's, uh-oh, this is a problem. If the big light in the sky goes off, it's a problem for all of us. Amos 5.8 Look forward to this day. The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Joel 2, 1 and 2. Blow you the trumpet in Zion, for the day of the Lord comes, a day of darkness and gloominess. When is that day? It's right here when the fourth trumpet gets sounded. Okay, And it seems like 16 hours of darkness and 8 hours of light is, is what happens kind of like northern Michigan in January. 16 hours of darkness, just a little bit of light. Um, but the Lord is scrambling that which he created. But please know this, as bad as all of those judgments are, the worst is yet to come. The big guns uh, don't come out till starting in chapter 9. So we'll look at the big guns next week but they get just a, like a, a little warning. Look at verse 13. As I watched, 
I heard an eagle that was flying in midair. So you got an eagle going worldwide, calling out in a loud voice, Woe! 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 To the inhabitants of the earth! Because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the next three angels. So this is bad. These first four trumpets are bad, the woe bird says. But the next ones are going to be way worse. And the bird was right. And we'll get to that next week. So, uh, the question for us is, how do these first four trumpet blasts uh, of the seventh seal affect us? What, what does this mean to us? How, how do the first four trumpets, how does that affect us living in northern Michigan, the church at Walloon? What should be the result of studying these four trumpet blasts? And I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12, would you please? Romans chapter 12. To me, this is what jumps at me um, as I uh, study Revelation chapter 8. Romans chapter 12, slide down to verse 17. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Rome, to the church at Walloon. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, here's, here's where Revelation chapter 8 comes into play. Here's, here's what Revelation 8 is going to do. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And that's what we've just looked at in Revelation chapter 8. It's God's job to exercise wrath. It's God's job to take revenge. It's God's job to issue justice and righteousness on planet Earth. That's not our duty. Our duty, go back to verse 18, as much as possible, live at peace with all men. Uh, you don't know my family, Pastor Chef. You, you don't know my boss. You, you should see this neighbor that I live next door to. You can't believe this teacher that I have to put up with. As much as it is possible, live at peace with all men. Verse 19, exercise restraint. Exercise self-control um, do not take evil do not take revenge um, matter of fact slide down to verse 20 here's what we're supposed to do on the contrary if your enemy is hungry what are you supposed to do are you kidding me and if your enemy is thirsty give him something to drink yeah, I'll give you some wormwood yeah no give him, give him the best you got in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their head. Um, Jesus said it slightly different. Matthew chapter 5, if somebody hits you on the left side of your face, what are you supposed to do? Uppercut to their chin, right? What does it say? No, you turn the other side of your face. Uh, if they steal your jacket, what are you supposed to do? Um, would you like my winter coat too? 
If, if the Roman soldier makes you walk a mile with him, don't just walk one mile. What do you do? Walk two miles. I'm just telling you, give me your eyes. We shine brightest. We shine best for Jesus when we're being shown evil and instead of returning evil for evil, we return evil with verse 21. What is it? With good. This verse has changed my life. I believe this verse may have saved my life. Do not be overcome by evil, but how do you deal with someone who's showing you evil? Someone who's showing you ugliness and they're your enemy and they hate you. How do you deal with that? Do not be overcome with evil, but how do you deal with it? But overcome evil with... I had a friend... I was whining about someone who was showing me bad. In my mind, they were an enemy. They, they were doing bad things and happy about it. And they quoted this verse to me, and they said, um, and the goodest thing that I believe you and I can do for anybody is to pray for them. And I'm just telling you, I, I, that changed my life. So when I see that someone is coming against me and doing bad stuff and they don't like me and they're happy to hurt me and make me look and feel bad, I start praying for them. I'm telling you, it changes stuff. In the church, we get tempted to stew and fret and they lied to me and they cheated me and they showed pain to me and they don't like me and they did it again. And I think they'll do it one more time. And we're angry and we're full of tears and there's no peace and there's no joy and it's consuming me. Look at verse 21, I'm telling you. It'll change your life. Don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. Now, here's the point. Revelation chapter 8 it is what we have to look forward to. Christians down through the centuries... We have a very capable, awesome Savior who will right the wrongs and even the score. I know some of you have been harmed deeply, haven't you? You've had people who betrayed you. You've had people who've lied to you. You've had people who've harmed you. You've had people who've done horrible things to you. Give me your eyes. It's Christ's job to take revenge, not yours, not mine. That's His prerogative that's his job. And I'm telling you, every time we try to do the job that Jesus has, we do it terribly. Now, I'm not saying, give me your eyes, I'm not saying that if someone breaks into your house, you turn the cheek and you say, would you like me to open the safe for you? That's not what this is saying. Matter of fact, I think Paul knew that. Look at chapter 13 and verse 1. Let everyone be subject, this is the next verse, do not be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good, but let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority here on planet earth except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by who? God. So God put them in place, and I'm just telling you, um, if someone breaks into your house, call the authorities. If they're stealing your car, call the authorities. If somebody's abusing you and you're here, call 911. They're the authorities that God has put into place. And then you let the authorities deal with it and you take your hands off. 
And I don't need to seek revenge. I don't have to stew and fret and allow it to consume me. Lord, I'm going to give you that and you're going to take good care of it. And oh, by the way, I can look forward to Revelation chapter 8 too. I close with a true story. I'll change some names to protect the innocent and even the guilty. Fifteen years ago, approximately, uh, someone harmed one of my children. It could have been a lot worse, but they were still harmed and scarred. Um, And I did exactly what I just recommended to you. I called the authorities, dialed 911, and the person who had done the harm was caught. And the authorities took over. And I'll be honest, I think they uh, acted weakly, and they didn't act with much justice, and they sort of slapped this person on their hands. Um, So for the next few months, as this played out, in my head, I imagined catching this person alone, and I just played it out in my head how satisfying it would be to let a little two-fisted justice come forth from exhibit A and exhibit B. Um, And then when I would think that way, then I would think about the next day in the Petoskey News Review, a local pastor from Walloon arrested for salt and battery. And and it was back and forth. And some days I would say, and I don't care. It still would be worth it. By God's grace, and I'll give it to him, the Lord let me put Romans 12, 21 into practice in my life. And, and I knew I was going to say or do something really stupid unless I got a hold of myself and lived out verse 21. So every time I thought about this person, I prayed for them. Lord, you know I'm angry right now, but I give you the anger and I give you this person. I don't think they know you, Jesus, so open their eyes knock loudly on their heart's door, do good stuff, amen. When I would see this person's car, because this person was fairly close, and when I'd see their residence, or when I would see them out and about in town, uh, Lord, one more time here, I'm, uh, I'm going to overcome their evil with good. So Lord, you do good stuff in their life. I shared this probably 12, 13 years ago. But now I want to tell you the rest of this story. A couple years later, this person, we'll call him Joe, uh, Joe came walking into my office. And you know what played in my head real quick? Shut the door. Who would know? I'll say he he started it. Um, And again, I had to pray for Joe, Lord. I don't know. And he starts crying. And, And he's broken and he's crying and he's asking me to forgive him and and would you pray with me and I'm a mess and over the next several years I got to know Joe Uh, honest he's had an awful life doesn't excuse his sin and how he harmed my child but but here's the cool thing over time Joe accepted Christ as his savior and he still stops in and wants to talk and Will you pray for me? And do you have any good books for me? And, and, and he's growing. I understand not every story has a happy
happy ending like that. I, I get it. But here's what I do know. If I hadn't been praying for him, if I hadn't, every time I saw his car, saw his residence, so if I hadn't put Romans 12, 21 into practice in my life, here's what I do know. I believe this story would have a different ending too. And I think it would have been an ugly ending. The Lord says, you know what? I know you've had deep hurts and deep wounds and scars from people who mistreat you. The Lord knows that today. But I want you to know that in due time, the Lord will take all of that wrong and the sin and the torment that you faced and he's going to take care of it. He's going to right the wrongs and the Lord's going to do good stuff. That's what Revelation chapter 8 is shouting today. He really does care about our prayers. When we cry out to him, when we pray to him, when we respond evil with good and praying, he, he listens. So we can bring our tormentors and our abusers and our enemies to Jesus. Cheers, Lord. And he remembers our tearful prayers. And he'll avenge and bring justice in his time. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe? I don't think most of you must not believe it. Do you believe that? Okay. Okay. Let's pray. Would you pause as we close? Because I know many of you, many of us, we've been hurt and harmed and wounded deeply over the years. Is it possible that maybe there's a pocket of anger maybe a little sliver of bitterness grudges that are still down deep in your heart and soul here's the wild thing you could have uh, dealt with this 5, 10, 15, 30 years ago. And sometimes something will happen and it will all come rushing back. The anger, the venom, the bitterness, the rage, the deep hurt. And every time it comes back, the answer is still the same. You don't over overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. Lord, we give it to you. You're the awesome God and creator of the universe. And Lord, we want to leave room for you to do your job. You will bring vengeance. You are the one who is just. And uh, you're, you're going to right all the wrongs at just the right time. Help us, Lord, as your kids to trust you. Too much stealing of joy and peace and energy and time occurs, Lord, when we hold on and we nurse that poison. Thank you again for your book. It's alive, it's quick, it speaks clearly and loudly to each and every one of us as your kids. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.